And we are now about halfway through our Advent 2020 series at the intersection of pop culture and liturgical nerdiness, looking at the church year season of Advent and Christmas with pop culture things we like or that make us think in new ways or that we just love. So, uh, Erica, tell us where we're going today. So today we're going to go back in time a little ways uh, to 1977. And a stop-motion animated story that I absolutely love, but it seems that not a whole lot of people know about. It's called Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. It's kind of it's along the same lines of Rudolph and Frosty, though, all those stop animation mm-hmm, that were mm-hmm. um, in that time period. Uh, so, so Nestor is narrated by Santa's Chris, Santa's donkey, because apparently Santa has a donkey along with reindeer. So, Good to know. Good to you know. know. Um, but the story starts off, this is Santa's donkey, his ancestor, and Nestor is born in the Roman Empire, and of course he has very long ears that make him trip, and everybody makes fun of him. He's kind of like Rudolph, in a sense, just with a different anatomically incorrect you know, part of his body. So um, so these Roman soldiers come, they, they come looking for donkeys uh, on this cold, cold winter night, and... Um, they take Nestor away from his mother, he's just a young colt, but then they realize that he has long ears and he's no good use to them, and so they throw him back at his owner, the breeder, and the breeder gets mad at Nestor, tosses him out into the cold, um, because poor Nestor, like I said, you know, he's got long ears, he trips, he's not really good for anything. Um, and so in classic, um, animation, storytelling, you know, Nestor's mom goes out and protects him from the cold in the winter. And of course, like a lot of children's stories, his mom unfortunately dies protecting him. Sad day. Um, but Nestor hears a small voice of a little child, what he thinks is a child. Then he realizes it's too cold for a child to be out here. And then he, and he realizes that this little girl that starts talking to him is a cherub named Tilly. Sure. And Tilly... <laughs> Y'all, this is a good movie. It just sounds really weird, but it's a good movie. Um, Jillian tells Nestor that the big guy upstairs has a plan for him. And so Nestor follows Tilly until he eventually um, makes his way to a stable in Nazareth. Um, and he's hanging out with the animals there, and of course they, they make fun of him too because he still has the long ear. He's still tripping on everything. And then we get to what we know as Christmas Eve. Uh, night, Christmas Day, when a couple comes in looking for a donkey to take them to Bethlehem because the Roman census says, you know, you need to go back to your town. And of course, the couple is Mary and Joseph. And they look at all these donkeys, and Mary sees little Nestor with his big old eyes, and she's like, I want that one. Um, and so, um, you know, Nestor starts carrying them to Bethlehem. They run into a sandstorm. The star that they were following, which, again, you know, that's a little out there. That's not quite how the story goes. But the star they were following, <laughs> they can't see anymore. Um, but Nestor uses his big old ears to listen. And he can hear Tilly and all the angels telling him what direction to go to. Mm-hmm. So they eventually end up in Bethlehem. Of course, there's no room for them in the inn. 
And Nestor remembers how comfortable and how cozy a stable was when he was a child. And so he takes Mary to a stable where she gives birth to Jesus. Um, and then eventually at the end of the story, he returns back to the stable which he was born in. And he's a huge hero because, you know, he helped the baby Jesus get to where he needed to be to be born. So it's an example of how God uses the unexpected person to do God's work in the world. Yes. And how the very thing that seemed like a weakness or a point of uh, making fun of or insult is the thing that becomes the means of saving the day, huh? Yes. I was the thinking, story that least lasts the law. Yeah, yeah. Like, used. I was thinking as you were retelling this, like on the one hand, this this does feel sort of like someone deliberately took the, the plot of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and said, let's make it in Bible times. But there's another piece of me that thinks... In, it, it, as as much as there have been times in my own faith life where I thought any of these stories that you know, aren't strictly out of the Bible, we know we no room for that because we don't want to confuse people. But like, there's something very, very much in tune with like the the kind of God we meet in the mm-hmm. scriptures that is different from the other stories that other other uh, especially the gods of the empire would have told. You know, like there's there's something that is very, very resonant with this is how the God we meet in the scriptures always works of picking the nobodies that like say the least the last the lost the the and the 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 very thing that the world sees as weak is exactly the thing that god chooses and that's sort of the whole point of the whole thing that it it feels like that's that's in some ways very very much in tune with what the the not just the christmas story but what like jesus is about what what the the whole gospel is about and i think that's why i like this so much like nestor is just like i said you've got to watch it because he's so cute like he's just adorable little donkey face and these long ears it reminds me of like beagle puppies with their mm-hmm. long ears and they, you know, how they trip over them and stuff. And I'm a dog person, so. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just, he gets thrown out. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, he gets thrown out in the cold. Like, nobody wants you, nobody cares about you. He cost his breeder, like, all his money because, you know, he got thrown out and they took back all the. Breeder's like, oh, you can have him for free. And Rome's like, no, we're going to have them all for free because mm-hmm. you try to sell us this. Um, but then he ends up being, you know, it's like Mary Magdalene, you know, um, you know, she becomes a follower of Jesus, you know, not going Dan Brown follower of Jesus, but, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, he picks her up out of a situation that nobody else wanted, mm-hmm. you know, he pulls together a ragtag team of disciples that, mm-hmm. you know, include his dad and a tax collector, my goodness, a tax collector, mm-hmm. and he makes, you know, if you believe that Matthew, like the tax collector is the writer of the gospel of Matthew, I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you take somebody that nobody wants and you make them into the writer yeah. of, you know, the gospel of Jesus. The, yeah. One of the few that we actually have the birth narrative in. Yeah. And it, to me, it even seems too like like throughout the whole of the New Testament and the Old Testament too. Honestly, like the recurring dominant narrative is about how God takes the ones that the world looks on mm-hmm. as unimportant or or negligible and and choose I will work through you in all your smallness. And like sometimes God will deliberately say, "So we're all clear. It's not because you're the biggest or the most powerful or the yeah. most wealthy." And you know? so God says to the the freed Israelites, "Just so we're clear, it wasn't because you're the most multi, you know, the, the largest number of people or the most powerful. It's because." You're, you're a bunch of nobodies, basically. Everybody else thinks it was, you know, only only enslavable. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm choosing you in all your smallness. Um, 
in you know, my goodness, Mary sings in the Magnificat about like this is God's way. This is how God has always operated, taking the the lowly and the hungry and lifting them up, and sending the the rich away empty and and uh, tearing down the mighty from their thrones. That's that's very very much in the spirit of not just Christmas but all throughout the the. The, our faith story. Mm-hmm. Paul even makes that point, like, and drives it home in Corinthians, right? Where he, you know, uh, says early on, not many of you, you know, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, you know, were wise or powerful or smart by human standards, but God chose the things that are yep. foolish to shame the strong. And Paul doesn't see that as an outlier or the exception. He seems to think this is God's modus operandi in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it, like, in, in a sense, like the the story of Nestor, so we've talked before about the 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 churchy or or theological word is midrash, and you sort of take a story and like riff on like a what if or a mm-hmm. spin off story, but like it's fan fiction, it's 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 Bible yeah. fan fiction, um, but like the the you know the 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 gods and goddesses in the pantheon say of Rome of the official empire, their their priorities aren't the same. I mean, yeah. much much more it's sort of a. Zeus is powerful. His sons are powerful. You know how you know they're his sons because they're Hercules and they're strong, or they've got lightning bolts or you know, whatever. That it's sort of a, the 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 strong are powerful. They overpower other people, and that's how you know that they have the 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 right to rule because they're so mighty and strong. And that there really is this very upside down story um, that the Jewish and Christian scriptures tell that resonates even in our fan fiction. Um, I, so I I guess what I wonder is like. Are there other ways that you see that theme, that sort of Nestor theme of the the one who was rejected uh, uh, being the the very instrument of of saving the day? Like, how does that work itself out in your sense of of life and ministry or what we're called to do as church? Because it's one thing to hear a story and go, oh, isn't that neat? There's that reversal. Mm -hmm. And then, but we don't certainly don't operate that like that in the real world. Like, there's often that disconnect. What, how, how how do we move between neat, children's Christmas story and like how does that affect the priorities of our lives I think you know, I, I see not only just Jesus's love for the least last and lost mm-hmm. but I see Jesus and Esther mm-hmm. you know like his, his rejection eventually at the end of, well throughout his life but especially at the end of his life you know just you know when they were calling the Jewish people were calling for him to be crucified and things and, and I always try to to look out for the underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I meet with a covenant group every week on Wednesdays, and we've we've got a set of goals that you know we, we try to live up to. And one of the goals we've had the whole time I've been in the group is um, to seek out those who are unnoticed and unwanted, both in and outside the church. Um, and you know. That's been honestly, it's been a struggle throughout the pandemic because I, I don't, I'm not around as many people. But like, you know, if, if you take a look around you, um, especially I notice, I mean, here in Indiana County, where we all serve and live, you know, there's a lot of folks that are in a lot of need in this area, and, and so I, I'm always trying to keep an eye out for for those people and trying to help them in some way. And I encourage my church to do the same thing. Right before Advent, we did a sermon series on Wesley's Simple Rules, which um, John Wesley for the early Methodists created, he didn't create them, I mean, these are things that Jesus taught us. But it came up with a set of three simple rules, do no harm, do good, and stay in love with God. And 
you know, those sound simple and easy, but really what it means is looking out for other people and making sure that, like, the things I say and do don't bring harm to someone else. You know, especially by the time I preached that, we it was the day after we found out the results of the election, you know, and the unofficial results of the election. So that was real interesting. You know, do no harm when you got a congregation that's kind of split over, you know, who they voted for. It's like, okay, this means that you can't go, you know, bashing the other candidate or their, you know, their party just because you didn't vote for them. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's kind of the way I try to live my life personally. Um, as a Christian first and as a pastor second, um, and I try to encourage my congregation to do the same thing. Like, there are people around us every day that you run into that need our help. And what are you doing to help them? Are you just walking by and ignoring them because they're not your friends, they're not from your social class, they're not, you know, whatever. They look different than you, you know. They've got the long ears that they trip over. <laughs> you know, like, are you ignoring them because of that? Or are you actually saying... You know, like here, let me help you. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that you, you raise a really, really good point that is, I think, is going to be poking at me. Hopefully, the rest of my life, at least the rest of the day. But like, the 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 long eardedness of Nestor seems like a thing we got to deal with. Is it like in a in a in a story that is obviously meant for children? Like, it's easy to make the distinctive of what sets Nestor apart is he's got mm -hmm. these long ears and whatever, and we shouldn't make fun of people for their long ears. Good. I, so I can reasonably get through the day without making fun of somebody's ears or looking down on some, but this isn't really just about lim being limited to don't make fun of people with long ears, don't exclude mm -hmm. people just based on their longness of their ears, but oh man, there's a whole bunch of folk, and, and how easy we make the move in mm -hmm. real life saying, well, no, like when it's other people in my life, but don't you understand why that's different, and I'm allowed to hate that person, or I'm allowed mm -hmm. to say this person doesn't matter i'm allowed to ignore uh you know and like maybe maybe we aren't so good at making that connection from the fable world of what i mean honestly whether it's nestor with his long ears or rudolph with a red nose like the same the same yeah. you know plot device there but like how we have a really hard time letting go of our pet hatreds or pet reasons to look down on somebody mm -hmm. else um, because it's not as exaggerated as in the, the fable, but like to say, no, don't you get it? It's not just about talking donkeys with their long ears. It's about anybody around us who we treat as they don't matter, they don't count or whatever. And maybe it's in subtle ways. Maybe it's not as overt as I won't take that donkey or, you know, whatever. But there's a lot of little ways that we treat others as less than and basically regard them as the Rudolphs and Nestors mm -hmm. of the world. I mean, like, you get the idea from the movie. It never gives an age for Esther, but he's probably like a year or two years. I mean, he's a colt. He's still a very young donkey. And so that's part of the reason why he can't have, you know, his ears so long that he trips over them. He doesn't really have control over them because any toddler doesn't have control of their body. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think sometimes we assume that, that folks that um, are less financially stable, that, that maybe, you know... Um, our friends that don't have homes, you know, people that have issues with addiction or whatever, that it's their fault that they're in this position. And, and sometimes maybe they made poor decisions and things like that. But, you know, sometimes it's just life, you know, but we, we blame it on them 
they don't have control over things. Well, you know, maybe life put them in a situation where they didn't have a choice to have control. Um, so where can we help them find that control to help them get back on their feet rather than just saying, well, that's, you know, it's their own fault that they're in that situation. Um, what, what you're reminding me of, there, there's a, a line of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's that comes to mind. Um, and I think this is something he wrote before Kristallnacht happened, so before the Night of Broken Glass, but still the, the writing was on the wall. Um, the, the line of his is that Christians, he says in particular, are called to see the great events of the world from the perspective of the outcast, the suspect, the maltreated, the powerless, the oppressed, the reviled, in short, from the perspective of those who suffer. And like in the years since Bonhoeffer, like a lot of voices have, have come to the floor and said, yes, we've been saying this for a very long time. For someone in my tradition, um, Bonhoeffer is sort of an entry point for, for that. But like the idea that um, the whole of the scriptures teaches us to see mm-hmm. the world from a particular vantage point, and it's the vantage point of how does this affect those who hurt the most, those who are suffering, not from being a relatively privileged, sort of comfortable, like, well, it doesn't bother me, therefore it's not a problem. And like I think that, at least for, for a lot of folks in probably in American Christianity, is is a difficult wake-up call. Like, to see that the gospel itself requires that kind of adjustment of perspective. Not just, well, if it doesn't affect me, it's not a problem. Can't we just move on to saving souls? But that the gospel itself, the, 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 the heart of the Christian faith, has to do with God's concern for, in particular, mm-hmm. wherever there is suffering of those who are outcast or whatever. And in some way, eventually all of us get included in that, that you know, all of us suffer in some way, all of us are, are, have wrestled with, with that not belonging or not being acceptable. Um, but that's an important distinction that for, I, I think for at least a lot of my own faith life, that was an idea I'd not even thought of, that like, why would I be asked to see something for somebody else's perspective? I should pity those, those poor people who suffer more than mm-hmm. I do, but not to sort of enter things from that vantage point of God is particularly aligned with that, the, those, those folks and their needs. Yeah, Wesley, and I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but I think it was from his journals, you know, when I was preaching about these simple roles, he, he said, look, there, you know, there's prisoners and there's children working in the factories, because, I mean, it's, it's 1700s. Right. You know, there, there's this and there's that and there's this. Like, he's pointing out all these things that are wrong in his era in England that mm-hmm. all he has to do is walk down the street to see them. Mm-hmm. And I think so often, especially in today's society, because we're so, not only are we isolated because of the pandemic, but I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we were isolated before the pandemic, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, our smartphones and, and our mm-hmm. technology has kept us from really knowing who our neighbors are and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we walk down the street and we can just easily ignore folks. Um, either we actually don't see them or we just drive by oh somebody else will help them. Right, right, right. And we need to have those eyes open to see these folks because the issues that Wesley dealt with, the issues that Bonhoeffer dealt with and, and that Luther dealt with mm-hmm. are haven't changed. Right, right, right. They're still here. Right. Um and so but we need to have our eyes like you said, or have our eyes open to see them. Rather than just kind of going about our day and thinking, oh, I, oh, mm-hmm. poor per, you know, rather mm-hmm. than pitying the person, let's work to help them. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I, I will confess that I was much, much later into adult life than I should have been. That I, for example, 
really paid attention to like the words of Mary's song, the Magnificat, the, the idea of this is what God's up to. And like, in some ways that's a shame on me for how many years did it take me to actually pay attention to what was like just sitting there in the first chapter of Luke's gospel. And it's probably a part of worship life in some form for a lot. And I just had not paid attention to, but also like, I'm not sure that that was a particularly important idea of the, 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 brand the version of christianity and again i i I don't know how how exactly do you make that accessible to children well maybe it's like making the connection in in children's stories like nestor the long-eared christmas donkey and saying like this is again and again how god operates god is always looking out for the person that nobody else will eat with at lunch god is always looking out for the the people who um uh you know, who, who, are, who are, are suffering in some way, and whether it's you did something that brought it on yourself, you, we're still grace, they're still starting over again, or whether it's, why is everybody picking on this person, this hasn't this presented anything wrong, but they need to be included as well, that, that seems like an important piece that maybe we need to be looking for ways to be raising or highlighting those themes as very, very central to scripture, like mm-hmm. from early on. So the, it's in the stories we tell children, it's in the ways we highlight for children what stories in the Bible really are about. Um, instead of trying to re- reduce them to like sort of morality plays about you should be, you know, be behaved and you should, be, mm-hmm. yeah. But more than that, like, look how God is always this one who's lifting up the lowly. Look at how God is always the one who's entering in the position of the suffering. That, that's, that's who God is in the Bible. And I mean, kids learn from our example. They learn from watching us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the stories of David and Goliath and Moses and, and Abraham. You know, those are great stories. But, like, we need to be showing our kids, sure, whether they're own personal kids or the church kids or whatever, you know, what it looks like to do good for others sure. and, and to be charitable to others. Sure. Um, and it doesn't take much. It, it's just little things but the more they see it the more apt they're going to be like oh i get it now and i even think like it's even in recognizing in those stories even like the ones that you named like how very much there is that theme even in those stories of god choosing the outsider the unacceptable Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and again that sometimes that's not always brought to the fore in children's version retellings of them like i've seen lots of almost like comic book style retellings of these heroes of the Bible who are mighty and strong. And it's like, no, the, the point of the story of David and Goliath is here's this pipsqueak kid who is the mm-hmm. runt who it's laughable that he's going to knock out the giant with stones, you know. So not the, and, and the whole point of the story is this isn't David's power or awesomeness, but it's about God who chooses to work with the nobodies. And Moses goes to this laundry list of why he's not acceptable as the one who should go to Pharaoh. And then it's never a contest of I'm stronger and more powerful in, in, a, in a, a fist fight kind of a way, but God who works in this upside down way. Um, that isn't reducible to who's got more military power or wealth or status or greatness or whatever. And I think, like, the story of Jonah, you know, we always focus on the whale. Yeah. Jonah was in the whale for three days. But really, the whole point of the story of Jonah is the fact that God has mercy on Israel. Exactly. And and to, to me, that, I think that's a fantastic example of a story that that church folks latch onto as a, as a kid's story because there's a fanciful whale and all this kind of thing. But we end it at the whale part, and we make it the point of the story is do what God says or a fish will eat you, when, like, that is not at all the point of the story. And that drives toward, yeah, mercy toward stinkers uh, beyond their deserving. And that God has to persuade Jonah, that's what my agenda has been all along. You need to get on board with this is how I operate, Jonah. And that in the end, it's Jonah who's the stinker God has to do the most to get through to. But yeah, like we don't, uh, there's not a lot of retellings of, of that story in particular that do that well. Yeah, yeah. Um, It seems to me too that 
we even sometimes miss how much that's an important piece of Jesus' ministry, even though mm-hmm. it seems like we're, that should be, it should be clearer there. But we're so quick to drive toward, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. But we sort of forget, like, that, that is like the, the climax of a story throughout which all of which Jesus is at every point associating with and siding with and working with the lowly, the unacceptable, the whatever. And then the fact that he dies on the cross as one, like as someone who is, you know, uh, the, the lowest and that, I mean, like th- that's, that's an important piece of it, that it's not a heroic death where everybody's applauding way to go, Jesus way to, way to die for us. They're mocking him and treating him like he's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a, a criminal. Um, that again, like th- this is an important piece of how the, the, the feel of the Christian story works, but we aren't that good of, at recovering it. And and maybe since we are still in a conversation about Christmas time stuff, I, I will add my own confession or, or grievance or soapbox that sometimes our attachment to the sentimental at Christmas time makes it hard to hear that there are these sort of almost kind of subversive themes in our in, in the story of Jesus, in the story of Jesus' birth to be sure, in Mary's song to be sure. Um, but there is this impulse in all of us for something that is milk toast that is sort of bland and vaguely sentimental mm-hmm. can't we just do the, the 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 harmlessness of a baby in a manger without like poking at the like this is god siding with the nobodies here yeah. um that w- we are tempted not to uh to to pull at that or or to to open up that can of worms at christmas time so that we don't ruin people's christmas <laughs> and that that's mm-hmm. tough because like maybe that maybe maybe that becomes how do you tell at what point has that picture of christmas become an idol that needs to be cleared away and i i don't know that that's that's never an easy thing to figure out but mm-hmm. it seems that's an important thing Indeed. this reminds me of a quote of howard thurman's uh the pastor who was like one of the major mentor figures for dr king um and it's a it's a poem i think of his the, the, the gist of it goes after the last angel's gone back into the sky uh, and the shepherds go back to their flocks, the real work of Christmas begins. And he mm-hmm. gives yeah, us yeah. list of, you know, mm-hmm. to heal the broken, to comfort the afflicted and what, and, and that, like, I, there's something re- really powerful to me about that, that idea that uh, the, the, all the, the, the celebratory trappings of the story are, are there, but like the real work now begins because Christmas has always been about the birth of Jesus. In fact, the whole story of God relating to the universe has everything to do with God picking the nesters, the long-eared, you know, donkeys of us, um, and calling us beloved. And it, to me, it seems like that's, that's news the world is aching to hear. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're just afraid of telling it. So plenty for us to keep thinking about. We've got a little bit more Advent to go, so join us for next week when we're going to be looking at yet another piece of Advent Christmas time pop culture. Um, but uh, thanks for being with us here along the way here this far on uh, Crazy Faith Talk. See ya. Bye.